Chapter Four of He Fell in Love with His Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. He Fell in Love with His Wife by Edward P. Rowe. Chapter Four Domestic Bliss. Holcroft had been given a foretaste of the phase of torment which he was destined to endure in his domestic relations, and was planning to secure a refuge into which he could not be pursued. He had made himself a little more presentable for supper, instinctively aware that nothing would escape the lynx-eyed widow, and was taking some measurements from the floor to a stove-pipe hole leading into the chimney flue, when he became aware that someone was in the doorway. Turning, he saw Jane, with her small cat-like eyes, fixed intently upon him. Instantly, he had the feeling that he was being watched and would be watched. "'Supper's ready,' said the girl, disappearing. Mrs. Mumpson smiled upon him, if certain contortions of her thin, sharp face could be termed a smile, from that side of the table at which his wife had sat so many years, and he saw that the low rocking-chair, which he had preserved jealously from his former help, had been brought from the parlour and established in the old familiar place. Mrs. Mumpson folded her hands and assumed a look of deep solemnity. Jane, as instructed, also lowered her head, and they waited for him to say grace. He was in far too bitter a mood for any such pious farce, and stolidly began to help them to the ham and eggs, which viands had been as nearly spoiled as was possible in their preparation. The widow raised her head with a profound sigh which set Holcroft's teeth on edge, but he proceeded silently with his supper. The biscuits were heavy enough to burden the lightest conscience, and the coffee simply grounds swimming around in lukewarm water. He took a sip, then put down his cup and said, quietly, "'Guess I'll take a glass of milk tonight. Mrs. Mumpson, if you don't know how to make coffee, I can soon show you. Why, isn't it right? How strange!' Perhaps it would be well for you to show me just exactly how you like it, for it will afford me much pleasure to make it to your taste. Men's tastes differ so. I've heard that no two men's tastes were alike, and after all, everything is a matter of taste. Now, Cousin Abiram doesn't believe in coffee at all. He thinks it is unwholesome. Have you ever thought that it might be unwholesome? I'm used to it, and would like it good when I have it at all. Why, of course, of course, you must have it exactly to your taste. Jane, my dear, we must put our minds on coffee and learn precisely how Mr. Holcroft likes it, and when the hired girl comes, we must carefully superintend her when she makes it. By the way, I suppose you will employ my assistant tomorrow, Mr. Holcroft. I can't get a girl short of town, was the reply, and there is so much cream in the dairy that ought to be churned at once that I'll wait till next Monday and take down the butter. Mrs. Mumpson put on a grave, injured air and said, Well so disapprovingly that it was virtually saying that it was not well at all. Then, suddenly remembering that this was not good policy, she was soon all smiles and chatter again. How cosy it is, she cried, and how soon one acquires the home feeling. Why, anyone looking in at the window would think that we were an old established family, and yet this is but our first meal together. But it won't be the last, Mr. Holcroft. I cannot make it known to you how your loneliness, which Cousin Lemuel has so feelingly described to me, has affected my feelings. Cousin Nancy said but this very day that you have had desperate times with all kinds of dreadful creatures. But all that's past. Jane and me will give a look of stability and respectability to every corner. Well, really, Mrs. Mumpson, I don't know who's to come. 
Oh, you'll see, she replied, wrinkling her thin blue lips into what was meant for a smile, and nodding her head at him encouragingly. You won't be so isolated no more. Now that I'm here, with my offspring, your neighbors will feel that they can show you their sympathy. The most respecterable people in town will call, and your life will grow brighter and brighter. Clouds will roll away, and— I hope the neighbors will not be so ill-mannered as to come without being invited, remarked Mr. Holcroft grimly. It's too late in the day for them to begin now. My being here with Jane will make all the difference in the world, resumed Mrs. Mumpson, with as saccharine an expression as she could assume. They will come out of pure kindness and friendly interest, with the wish to encourage— Mrs. Mumpson, said Holcroft, half desperately, if anyone comes it'll be out of pure curiosity, and I don't want such company. Selling enough butter, eggs, and produce to pay expenses will encourage me more than all the people of Oakville, if they should come in a body. What's the use of talking in this way? I've done without the neighbors so far, and I'm sure they've been very careful to do without me. I shall have nothing to do with them except in the way of business, and as I said to you down at Lemuel Weeks's, business must be the first consideration with us all. And he rose from the table. Oh, certainly, certainly, the widow hastened to say. But then business is like a cloud, and the meetings and greetings of friends is a sort of silver lining, you know. What would the world be without friends? The society of those who take an abiding interest? Believe me, Mr. Holcroft, she continued, bringing her long skinny finger impressively down on the table, you have lived alone so long that you are unable to see the crying needs of your own constitution. As a Christian man, you require human sympathy and— Poor Holcroft knew little of centrifugal force, but at that moment he was a living embodiment of it feeling that if he did not escape he would fly into a thousand atoms, saying nervously, I've a few chores to do. He seized his hat, and hastening out, wandered disconsolately around the barn. I'm never going to be able to stand her, he groaned. I know now why my poor wife shook her head whenever this woman was mentioned. The clack of her tongue would drive any man living crazy, and the gimlet eyes of that girl Jane would bore holes through a saint's patience. Well, well, I'll put a stove up in my room, then ploughing and planting time will soon be here, and I guess I can stand it at mealtimes for three months, for unless she stops her foolishness, she shan't stay any longer. Jane had not spoken during the meal, but kept her eyes on Holcroft, except when he looked toward her, and then she instantly averted her gaze. When she was alone with her mother, she said abruptly, We ain't a-goin' to stay here long, nother. Why not? was the sharp, responsive query. "'Cause the same looks comin' into his face that was in Cousin Lemuel's and Cousin Abraham's and all the rest of em. Fies you, I'd keep still now. Pears to me they all want you to keep still and you won't.' "'Jane,' said Mrs. Mumpson in severe tones, "'you are an ignorant child. Don't presume to instruct me. Besides, this case is entirely different. Mr. Holcroft must be made to understand from the start that I'm not a common woman, and that I'm his equal, and in most respects his superior. If he ain't made to feel this, it'll never enter his head, but law. There's things which you can't and oughtn't to understand. But I do, said the girl shortly, and he won't marry you, nor keep you, if you talk him to death. Jane, gasped Mrs. Mumpson, as she sank into the chair and rocked violently. The night air was keen and soon drove Holcroft into the house. As he passed the kitchen window, he saw that Mrs. Mumpson was in his wife's rocking chair, and that Jane was clearing up the table. He kindled a fire on the parlor hearth, hoping, but scarcely expecting, that he would be left alone. 
nor was he very long, for the widow soon opened the door and entered, carrying the chair. "'Oh, you are here,' she said sweetly. "'I heard the fire crackling, and I do so love open wood fires. They're company in themselves, and they make those who bask in the flickering blaze inclined to be sociable. To think of how many long, lonely evenings you have sat here when you had persons in your employ with whom you could have no affinity whatever. I don't see how you stood it. Under the circumstances life must cloud up into a dreary burden. It never occurred to Mrs. Mumpson that her figures of speech were often mixed. She merely felt that the sentimental phase of conversation must be very flowery. But during the first evening she had resolved on prudence. Mr. Holcroft shall have time, she thought, for the hope to steal into his heart that his housekeeper may become something more to him than housekeeper, that there is a nearer and loftier relation. Meanwhile, she was consumed with curiosity to know something about the persons previously employed in his experiences with them. With a momentary and, as she felt, a proper pause before descending to ordinary topics, she resumed. My dear Mr. Holcroft, no doubt it will be a relief to your overfraught mind to pour into a sympathetic ear the story of your troubles with those, uh, those peculiar females that, uh, that... Mrs. Mumpson, it would be a much greater relief to my mind to forget all about em, he replied briefly. Indeed, exclaimed the widow, was they as bad as that? Who'd a thought it? Well, 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 what people there is in the world, and you couldn't abide em then? No, I couldn't. Well, now, what hussies they must have been! And to think you were here all alone with no better company! It makes my heart bleed. They do say that Bridget Maloney is equal to anything, and I've no doubt but that she took things and did things. Well, she's taken herself off, and that's enough. Then he groaned inwardly. Good Lord, I can't stand her and all her tribe better in this one. Yes, Mr. Holcroft, pursued Mrs. Mumpson, sinking her voice to a loud, confidential whisper, and I don't believe you've any idea how much she took with her. I fear you've been robbed in all these vicissitudes. Men never know what's in a house. They need caretakers, respectable women, that would sooner cut out their tongues than purloin. How happy is the change which has been effected! How could you abide in the house with such a person as that Bridget Maloney? Well, well, Mrs. Mumpson. She abode with herself. I at least had this room in peace and quietness. Of course, of course. A person so utterly unrespectable would not think of entering this apartment. But then you had to meet her, you know. You could not act as if she was not when she was, and there being so much of her, too. She was a monstrous-looking person. It's dreadful to think that such persons belong to our sex. I don't wonder you feel as you do about it all. I can understand you perfectly. All your sensibilities was offended. You felt that your very home had become sacrilegious. Well, now, I suppose she said awful things to you. Holcroft could not endure this style of inquisition and comment another second longer. He rose and said, Mrs. Mumpson, if you want to know just what she said and did, you must go and ask her. I'm very tired. I'll go out and see that the stock's all right, and then go to bed. Oh, certainly, certainly, ejaculated the widow. Reposes nature's sweet rester, says the poet. I can see how recalling those dreadful scenes with those peculiar females. But he was gone. In passing out, he caught sight of Jane whisking back into the kitchen. She's been listening, he thought. Well, I'll go to town tomorrow afternoon, get a stove for my room upstairs, and stuff the keyhole. He went to the barn and looked with envy at the placid cows and quiet horses. 
At last, having lingered as long as he could, he returned to the kitchen. Jane had washed and put away the supper dishes after a fashion, and was now sitting on the edge of a chair in the farthest corner of the room. "'Take this candle and go to your mother,' he said curtly. Then he fastened the doors and put out the lamp. Standing for an instant at the parlor entrance, he added, "'Please rake up the fire and put out the light before you come up. Good night.' Oh, certainly, certainly, we look after everything just as if it was our own. The sense of strangeness will soon pass. But his steps were halfway up the stairs. Mother and daughter listened until they heard him overhead. Then, taking the candle, they began a most minute examination of everything in the room. Poor Holcroft listened also. Too worried, anxious, and nervous to sleep until they came up, and all sounds ceased in the adjoining apartment. End of chapter 4